0: But now here's the dilemma. We must be righteous in order to go into heaven. We have got to be righteous, have perfect righteousness in order to get to heaven. So now, where do we get it? What's the solution to all this? It's the shed blood of Christ, not the waters of the baptistry, but the blood of Christ that washes our sins away when we make Christ the Lord and Savior of our life. Have you ever done that? Have you received the righteousness of Christ put on
1: your record? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving.
0: Well, let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Romans, if you would, in the seventh chapter, Romans chapter 7. Sometime back, the cross-country NCAA race was taking place in Riverside, California. And every single contestant would have run the wrong route if it hadn't been for one fella. A guy by the name of Mike Del Cabo. Uh, he was about in the middle of the pack, and uh, the first half had all taken the the wrong route and been disqualified. And he recognized what was going on, and and so he started down the right path. And nobody was following him. And he stopped, and he waved to his fellow contestants, but he could only get four of them to follow him. And so, 123 out of 128 runners ran the wrong route. You know, I thought about that recently as. I considered what Jesus said about the road to heaven. He said, it's straight, it's narrow, and few there be that find it. And he said, the road to hell is broad and wide, and many there be which thereon. You know, that's kind of backwards compared to what the world thinks, but in the Bible, and according to the words of Christ, it's pretty clear, it's pretty plain, that there are not many who are going to find the route of righteousness. Now, I talked about this last week. I'd like to finish My thoughts on it. And here in Romans chapter 7, we find the same text we used. Beginning in verse 18, Paul the Apostle, no less, is writing, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Skip to verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Notice what he refers to himself as in verse 24. A wretched man. I'd like to talk about that as we deal again with our wretchedness, his righteousness. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd give to every person here open, tender, receptive hearts, and everyone listening, receptive ears. And Father, I'm just praying now that Thou wouldst just please show us our wretchedness and show us Your righteousness. And Father, we pray and ask it all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I mentioned last week a fellow by the name of John Newton. John Newton's mother died of TB when he was seven years of age. And He was raised by his father who couldn't do a very good job and sent him off to boarding school. And at age 11, imagine this, age 11, John Newton went out to sea as a sailor at that time. And when he got old enough, he was drafted into the Royal Navy against his will. He didn't want to be a part of it. He deserted and they caught him and they brought him back. And in front of 350 of his fellow sailors, he was stripped and he was flogged. Well, he became suicidal after that. He thought many times of taking his life and came very close to succeeding. He finally gave up on that and went off to sea again and worked on a slave ship. He was a very profane man. He was in continual trouble. And finally, there was a, a, a captain by the name of Amos Cloe who uh, abandoned him on an island there in Africa and left him to be a slave to a, a slave trader, really the wife of that slave trader. And in 1748, he was finally rescued from that miserable life by a friend of his dad's who had sent this captain to find his son. He went back to his slave trading and was almost killed in a a storm at sea where he just barely survived it. He was an awful man, a wicked man. And he found God's Word and remembered the words of his mother that he had learned from her, a God-fearing woman as he was a little boy. And he began to read the Bible. And he he began to see the error of his, his profane life, his drunkenness and his wickedness, his gambling and all that. In 1749, he nearly died of fever. And when he came around, he said, that's it. And he found Christ, and he got converted, and he went on, he lived a very pious and godly life, and he wrote that famous song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now he said it, and he meant it, but you know, you call the average person a wretch. They get offended at that. That's not a word we use quite commonly. It's a word that means scoundrel, basically. A a fraud, a deceiver, a liar, a, a villain. And we find here that Paul writes about his frustration of his wretchedness because he was honest with what he really was. Notice in verse number 18, he said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now the flesh he's talking about is his carnal nature. The nature we were all born with. We call it the Adamic nature. We got it from Adam. And he said, I know that in me that is in my flesh, the real me on the inside dwelleth no good thing. He said, for to will is present. Now what's he mean there? That means I want to do right. To will is present. He goes on and he said, but to perform uh, that which is good, he said, I find not. He said, I want to do right, but I don't do right. He says in verse number 19, for the good that I would or I want to do, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I don't want to do, he said, that I do. You ever felt like that? There's this internal struggle taking place. There's that wretched side of you that wants you to do wrong. And then he cries out in despair in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am! Notice the exclamation point at the end of that sentence. Oh, wretched man that I am! He said it with feeling. Who shall deliver me from the body? Of this death? Question mark. In other words, what can get me out of this? I know I'm wretched. He said, How can I find righteousness? Folks, we are wretched. It's a Bible word. We find in Revelation 3 and verse 17 Christ addresses a church that was blinded to their wretchedness. He said, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. He said, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor? And blind, I've highlighted wretched, wretched. It's a word we kind of recoil at when we hear it. You call somebody a wretch, boy, they wince a little bit. They, they flinch a little bit there. They cringe a little bit. In fact, if a preacher uses the word wretch, I mean, people kind of think, I need a sweeter preacher. I need a sweeter church than this. And they might be having second thoughts. But you know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You say, what's that mean, pastor? It's talking about the preacher, I think in many cases, who will tell you the truth. Might hurt a little bit, but never harm. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Somebody who wants you to know the truth. Somebody who's willing to step on your toes a little bit. But the preacher who comes along and tells you, you're okay and everything's okay and pretty much everybody's going to heaven. Well, it says the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And you don't need somebody like that. Look, the last time we talked about this, we, we discovered the Bible has much to say about our wretchedness, and we can go to the Word of God to find such truth. But you know, the Minnesota Crime Commission, and I mentioned this last time, not a Christian organization, not a preacher who said this, but the, the Minnesota Crime Commission studied human nature and determined that people go astray right from birth. Boy, isn't that what the Bible says? and said, every baby is a little savage. And I'm quoting, quote-unquote, from the Minnesota Crime Commission. They are completely full of themselves. It's all about their self-will and their self-want and their self indulgent And they want what they want, when they want it, be it mother's attention or their bottle or their uncle's watch. And if they don't get it, well, I'll tell you what, they seethe with rage that would uh, turn into murder if they weren't so small and helpless. And I'm quoting what the Minnesota Crime Commission said. They went on and they said every human being is born delinquent. <laughs> you can imagine that. Born a delinquent and if permitted to just go to their whims and their ways would be guilty of rape and murder and all kinds of things. I heard recently about an 8-year-old in a public school that they couldn't settle down. They had to finally tase. I saw him interviewed online later on. If you can imagine that. Just, and, and they had to come and the police couldn't even restrain them. Imagine that. The Bible says in Psalm 58.3 that the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Now this is not flattering to hear. I understand that. But we do go from the womb astray. You don't have to teach a child how to lie, do you? You don't have to teach them how to be selfish, do you? You don't have to teach them how to steal cookies when mom's back is turned. You don't have to teach them how to do a host of other things. And you might wonder, well, who snuck in here and taught them all those things? Nobody. It's right in the heart. They're born with it. They go astray from the womb speaking lies. Now, as we talk about our wretchedness, first of all, we see what I called that missing morality. It is missing. We're not born with it. We're, we're void of virtue. That's how we're born, really. And, and morally bankrupt. That's the way we enter into this world. Look, if you would, in Job chapter 15. Job 15, just before the book of Psalms. If you can find that back in your Old Testament, look ahead of that or before that, and you'll find Job chapter 15. Years ago, there was a preacher who was preaching on sin. And... Uh, there was a smart Alec teenager in the crowd, always one I guess, and that teenager afterwards came up to him and said, you, you kept talking about the burden of sin, the burden of sin. Well, how heavy is sin? Is it 80 pounds? Is it 100 pounds? I don't feel any weight on me. And he said, well, young man, let me ask you something. If you put 400 pounds on the chest of a dead man, would he feel it? And the kid said, well, no, I guess not. He's dead. And he said, kid, that's your problem, and I would be concerned if I were you. You know, the Bible talks about us being dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, "...who were dead in trespasses and sins." Colossians 2 says, "...and you being dead in your sins." That's the condition we are born into this world, spiritually dead before salvation. Notice here in Job chapter 15 and in verse number 14, it says, "...what is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous." Behold, he, speaking of God here, putteth no trust in his saints, yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. Notice those words, strong words there. Talking about God here, saying in verse number 15, Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints, yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. Notice when it speaks to the Lord, even the heavens are not clean in His sight. And notice verse number 14, where it says, What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. What's the answer to that? There's none righteous, no, not one. Notice verse number 16. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water? You say, wow, that's not real flattering. Well, it's what God's Word has to say about the spiritual condition we're really in. We take in iniquity like water. You know, very few people have any idea how holy God is. We are clueless about the holiness of God. God is holy, and and the Bible says holy, 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 thrice holy. In fact, look in Psalm 130, if you would. And we live in a, a society that has no fear of God, and... It's hard to believe that nowadays we are laughing on primetime television about housewives who are cheating on their husbands. I grew up in the days of Leave it to Beaver and The Rifleman and, and The Big Valley and really clean shows like I Love Lucy and so on that had a moral. But today, it's some playboy who's sleeping with as many women as he can and it's supposedly supposed to be funny. And it's raunchy and it's drunkenness and it's dirty jokes and if it's not smutty, somehow it doesn't sell. What's wrong with our society? Well, we've lost our ability to blush. We are really showing our our wretchedness. And and the fact that morally we are missing something here. In Psalm 130, notice verse number 3. It says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? What a question that is. If God were to mark iniquities, who would be left standing? We would all be found guilty. Man calls it an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls it an error. God calls it enmity. Man calls it fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls it an infirmity. God calls it an iniquity. Man calls it a luxury. God calls it leprosy. Man calls it liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it a trifle. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it a weakness. God calls it willfulness. What is it? It is S-I-N. It is sin. And God labels it differently than man labels it. And really, the problem with the whole world is sin. And really the problem with man is his heart. That's where sin incubates and is spawned and comes out of. And we read in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Notice, the heart is deceitful. We say, well, they have a good heart. Well, we're talking about people horizontally compared to us. But God looks down and He says, that heart is still so deceitful. Above all things, if you can imagine that, there's something more deceitful than the devil. What is it? It's the heart. It'll lie to you. And it'll tell you something is so when it is not. It says it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? You say, well, if I know my own heart, stop right there. You don't. <laughs> you really don't. That's why we need the truth of the Word of God to guide us through this life. Who can know it? Our heart is deceitful. The late Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman used to tell of a preacher who often spoke on the subject of sin. I mean, he got right down to it. He didn't mince any words. And, and he, de, he defined it as that abominable thing that displeases God. God hates it. I mean, he came down hard on it. Well, there was a deacon in the church, kind of a leader, who came to him and he said, Preacher, we wish you wouldn't speak so plainly about sin. He said, you're offending some people. And, and really, you need to call it something else. It's a, uh, maybe an inhibition or an error or, or a mistake or, or maybe even a twist in our nature. Just, just don't call it sin. That preacher took him to his office. He pulled out a bottle. On the bottle there was that skull and crossbones and it said poison. It was strychnine. He said, uh, sir, he goes, what would you think if I were to peel this label off and, and I were to put another label on here that said mint tea? Would it make the contents any less dangerous? The guy said, well, no. He's, he said, the fact is it would make it more dangerous. Really, the more harmless the name, the more dangerous the dose would be. Folks, we need some men of God across this land who call sin what it is. It's wicked, it's evil, it's ugly, it's wretched. Plain and simple. Look in Galatians chapter 5 if you would. The worst favor you could do is paint out some God, some mush God who doesn't have any standards, no doctrine, really doesn't care about sin, kind of lets everything slide. That's the worst favor you could do to people. Really we need to tell it straight. In Galatians 5, we find the Apostle Paul telling it straight. And in verse number 19, where we'll pick up with it, he said, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, or made obvious, which are these. And he names them. Adultery, fornication, now these are the works of the flesh, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, that means putting anything ahead of God, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, means partying, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the last part of that would really sober me up. They which do such things, practice habitually such things, really see no problem with it, and are so desensitized they just what, you know? They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not pretty. But it's really a description of human nature. We find in First 1 John 1.10, it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And why is that? Because God says we have sinned. God says we are sinners. And so we come along, well, I'm not so bad. Our problem is self-righteousness, it really is. We're blinded to our own sin and we're callous to the sin of society. So he says, oh, no big deal. Well, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Apparently, it's a pretty big deal. It's something not to sober us up. And if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. He says we have, for all have sinned. He said, and come short of the glory of God. We read in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And the problem with the world is the problem with the human heart. We talk about having world peace. We won't have world peace until we have peace in our homes. Peace amongst our siblings. Peace amongst our spouses. Peace amongst church members. But until then, there's this war in the heart and the problem is the heart. You say, well, pastor, I don't really see us as that bad Well, really, if we just took a look at God's law, because it's the the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ and show us how badly we need Him. If we just look at the fact God says, don't place any other gods before me. Have you ever violated that? Have you ever placed anything ahead of God? Have you ever made a God of your own imagination? One that kind of suits you? One that overlooks sin and one that wouldn't send anyone to hell? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? That's the third commandment. Ever been guilty of that? God says, I will not hold him guiltless that hath taken my name in vain. Have you ever dishonored the Lord's day? That's the fourth commandment. Have you ever dishonored your parents? That's the fifth commandment. Who can say I've always obeyed my parents perfectly with a good attitude, never with a rebellious spirit, always immediately? I don't know too many people who could honestly say that. In the sixth commandment, it tells us in so many words that if you've ever hated somebody, been bitter towards somebody, It's murder of the heart, and you've broken the sixth commandment. In the seventh commandment, it says, if you've ever lusted after the opposite sex, you've committed adultery with that person. That's a violation of the seventh commandment. Then it says, thou shalt not steal, the eighth commandment. You ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Ever been goofing off on the boss's time? That's stealing. And we could talk about a lot of little, well, it's just something small. It's still stealing. It makes you a thief, plain and simple. The ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness. You ever told lie? I think we'd all have to admit we've lied before. And yet the Bible says, all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. And so it's not a trifle thing. And then finally, the tenth commandment says, thou shalt not covet. Have you ever desired something you didn't have? Coveted after it? Well, I got to have it, that kind of thing. Well, you violated the 10th commandment. And so we could go all the way through these and so many thou shalts and thou shalt nots. And I know this is not the way to win friends and and influence people. And I know Dale Carnegie would probably spin in in his grave right now. But this is the word of God. Have you ever been rebellious? You say, wow, yeah, I kind of dug in my heels a time or two. (laughs) I'm a little bit rebellious. We find in 1 Samuel 15, 23 that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Apparently, it's not some little deal to God. I don't think you'd ever be guilty of offering up some human sacrifice or or doing some, some satanic thing, but rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. How about stubbornness? Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a stubborn German or a stubborn Norwegian or a stubborn Irishman or whatever it might be. Oh, a little bit of stubbornness. That verse goes on and says, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Iniquity and idolatry. How about pride? You know, pride was the downfall of Satan. How many times have we let pride get in the way? Pride is sin. How about selfishness? Perhaps the mother of all sins. The destroyer of all marriages. Selfishness. How about anger? You say, well, I blow my top from time to time. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of of fools. There's so many verses that we could be looking at here. The bottom line is, we are wretched. We are missing a morality. And, and people who don't believe that, by the way, are scoffers. On top of everything else, they go, Ah, oh, whatever, you know, poo-poo that. There's nothing wrong with me. And, and we live in a day and age where nothing's sacred anymore. And nobody sees it anymore. And they don't want to hear it. In Jeremiah 5.4, God says, Surely these are poor. They are foolish. For they know not the way of the Lord nor the judgment of their God. We live in a day and age this would describe them, wouldn't it? They know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. And they they don't because they've never gotten a good whiff of their own wretchedness. They've never seen themselves as lost. And most religiosity today does not point out sin anymore because they're more concerned about patting people on the back and making them feel good, even if they die lost and go out into a Christless eternity. And that's the folly of this new kind of evangelicalism today that says, "Well, oh, just make a little decision for Jesus, and everything's okay." No, you've got to see yourself as lost first. Jesus said, "The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost." Have you ever seen your missing morality? Have you ever seen yourself as lost? Look in Matthew chapter twenty—or I'm sorry, verse chapter eighteen, verse twenty. Matthew chapter eighteen, we find Jesus Christ here telling a parable. And he's pretty pointed with it. He's making a very good point with what he has to say here. And and, and in three verses, notice the point. Matthew 18, beginning in verse number 23. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay... His Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. Now we could read on the parable here, but here's the point. We find out here that there was this kingdom, and this king, and he was taken account of his servants, and found out one owed him 10,000 talents of silver. Uh, It would fill this room here. It's this astronomical amount of money, something you could never repay. And it says, for as much as that servant had not to pay, he was to be sold for slavery. And the point is this, that's our sin debt. The king is the Lord. And we are morally bankrupt. And there's no way we can get our way out of this on our own. We can't work our way out of this thing. We are wretches. We are missing morality. Secondly, we see there's a required righteousness a required righteousness. There was a preacher by the name of Walter Wilson years ago who was always looking for an opportunity to try and help people spiritually out of their dead condition. And he was filling his car or having it filled back in those days at Sinclair. And uh, you remember the old Sinclair gas stations there? And and so there he was at the pump and the the attendant there filling his, his gas tank looked kind of miserable. And ever looking for an opportunity to witness old Walter Wilson said, how did sin get in the Sinclair? And That's a pretty good question. And And the man looked kind of sheepishly. He said, I don't know, but I sure wish I could get the sin out of me. (laughs) And he was an honest man. And Walter Wilson had an opportunity to witness to him. You know, if if people were honest, they'd stop and realize, I have a sin problem. I really wish I could get the sin out of me. But the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We're talking about a required righteousness. God requires a righteousness of us. And yet, It says, there is none righteous, no, not one, except God. Psalm 145.17 says, the Lord is righteous in all His ways, and holy in all His works. So we lack righteousness. God requires righteousness. You know, we got a lot of people into religion. And God's not really interested in our religion. God's not so much interested in ritualism and, and ceremonies, but that's what they're doing today. They're out there having their ceremonies. They've got their man-made dogma. They've got their legalism. They've got their customs. They have their traditions. They're wearing their robes. They've got their candles. They're carrying their crosses. You've got all this clergy and all this liturgy and all this stuff going on. And God's not interested in any of that. You know what God's looking for? Righteousness. Plain and simple. Righteousness. God's looking for righteousness. And the whole point is this we grossly lack righteousness. That's what God wants, and we don't have it. We read in Isaiah 64 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It doesn't say all our wicked deeds are like filthy rags, it says our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The very best that we can do. As a a filthy or a leprous rag, really is what it means here. Years ago, there was a man who was living in the highlands of Scotland. I've been there. It's a very interesting area. And there in the highlands of Scotland, uh, they have these little uh, highland terriers, little Scottish terriers, many people. Of course, they have this beautiful white coat. That man was so proud of his pure white dog, One day there was a heavy snowfall there in the highlands of Scotland and he kind of lost his dog and so he went outside and he was looking around and way off in the distance he could see something gray kind of trotting along in the snow there. He went, oh, that couldn't be my dog. As he got closer and closer and closer, he realized, that is my dog. It wasn't any grayer than usual, it's just against the backdrop of that white snow, suddenly that, that Scottish terrier didn't look so white anymore. You know, if we take our righteousness and we drop it against God's standard, the law, suddenly we're not so righteous anymore. Look in Matthew chapter 5 a few pages back if you would. Now here's the dilemma. We must be righteous in order to go into heaven. We have got to be righteous, have perfect righteousness in order to get to heaven. And that's why Felix trembled. I showed you that last week in the book of Acts, when Paul was preaching to the Roman governor, Felix, he reasoned of, of righteousness and judgment and temperance. The Bible says Felix trembled. Why? Because I thought he think he saw for the first time in his life he wasn't righteous. We know we lack righteousness, folks. We know we're depraved. If we'll be honest, we are wretches. We and yet, we want that righteousness. Many years ago, there was a, a missionary by the name of Ludwig, Ludwig, what a name, Namasin. And he was, he was a pioneer missionary to the Batak tribesmen. And he was told by the chief of the tribesmen that he could stay there for two years. And so during that time, he studied the customs and the traditions of the people. And as he had gotten to know them a little bit, he talked about God's law. And the, the chief of the tribesmen said, really, you don't have any different law than we have. We, we tell our people not to bear false witness, not to take his neighbor's wife and not to steal. What different is your religion than ours? And the missionary answered quietly, Well, my master gives salvation that enables us to be righteous and to keep the law. And the chief immediately said, Can you teach my people that? And he was invited to stay on for many years after. And and by the time he was done, there were about 450,000 Batak Christians and many churches because they were introduced to God's righteousness. Now, let me tell you about it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6, Christ is talking and he says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now that's where salvation begins. Jesus told a young man, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And that young man was seeking to get right with God. And the Bible says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, verse 6, for they shall be filled. Imagine that. Desiring righteousness. So we find a ray of hope here. Is there a way to get this righteousness? Look in chapter 13 of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 13. How can we get this righteousness? It's spoken of in the Bible. In fact, here we find out Christ is talking about Judgment Day. And in verse 43 of Matthew 13, He says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let them hear. Notice, then shall the righteous shine forth. In heaven, we're going to have to have this righteousness. So now, where do we get it? And where are the preachers who will preach about righteousness? Before the flood took place, there was a preacher by the name of Noah. He was more than a shipbuilder and a carpenter. He was a preacher. We find out in 2 Peter 2 and verse 5, God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood in upon the world of the ungodly. Just before it was all over, God raised up a preacher and He said, Repent or perish. And folks, I think Christ is close to coming back. And I believe today you're you're listening to somebody preaching on righteousness. The question is this do you have that righteousness? Jesus said this in John 16 8. When the Holy Ghost is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is something very, very important for us to have if we're ever going to see the, the the streets of heaven. Righteousness. We, we have a required righteousness. Finally. Because of our missing morality and God's required righteousness, what is the salvaging solution? What's the answer to this thing? Well, look back in Romans chapter 7, if you would again, where we started out. Folks, we're, we're doomed really in the spiritual condition we're in. And that's the whole point. That's what we need to realize before we can get saved. It's plain and simple. We need to, to realize where we're at before we can want the remedy, this righteousness. In Romans 7 and in verse number 24, Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Good question. We can't work our way out of this mess. We are wretches. We need righteousness. Our baptism won't get us out of this mess. Our confirmation won't get us out of this mess. Taking communion won't get us out of this mess. Joining a church won't get us the righteousness we need. In fact, the Bible says in Titus 3.5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. You don't get God's righteousness by trying to merit it. In fact, in Galatians 2.21, Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Can you see what that's saying? Paul says, don't frustrate the grace of God. If you could get to heaven by being righteous, then Christ died for nothing. Then Christ is dead in vain. So what's the solution to all this? Well, look in chapter 10 of Romans, since you're there already. In Romans 10, notice with me, if you would, verse number 4. It says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Did you catch that? Christ is the end of trying to work your way to God. It says, The end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. It's just by faith now. Being justified by faith. In fact, look back in chapter 5. This verse just came to mind. It says in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us that we get justified through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's the shed blood of Christ, not the waters of the baptistry, but the blood of Christ that washes our sins away when we make Christ the Lord and Savior of our life. Have you ever done that? It's the blood that cleanses us from sin, plain and simple. We have a missionary in our church who's ministering over in, in the southern part of Africa, Lesotho, Gary Norberg. Before it was Lesotho, it was known as Basuto Land. And there in Basuto land, for many years, they've tied red ribbons on the backs of their chickens because there are chicken hawks all over the place that would be swooping down and getting these chickens. But if that chicken has a red ribbon on its back, they've found that the chicken hawks leave them alone. They're scared of that red. And they've tried it with blue and green and other colors and they've lost chickens left and right. There's something about red. Folks, there's something about the red shed blood of Christ that washes sin away and basically keeps the devil at bay, if you want to put it that way. In Romans 5 here, notice verse number 9. It says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. By the blood of Christ, we're saved from the wrath of God and from hell when we're born again the Bible way. Look in chapter 3 of Romans. It's all over the book of Romans, and it's all over the Bible. In Romans 3, notice with me if you would, verse number 25, speaking of Christ, it says, Whom God hath set forth, to be a propitiation, that means substitute, through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission or the forgiveness of sins that are past through the forbearance or forgiveness of God. Now, it's quite a a mouthful there, but it's talking about that shed blood of Christ and that forgiveness. And folks, if you've ever been saved, you can appreciate what I'm talking about. But God wants righteousness, and it can only come when the righteousness of Christ is placed on our record freely. It's imputed. It is imparted when we call upon the Lord and place all our trust and all our faith in Him and are born again the Bible way. We receive it all by faith. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the grace of God. In Genesis fifteen six, it says, Abraham believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. you get it? We get the righteousness of Christ in our record when we receive the sacrifice of Christ as the only thing we're trusting in to save us. Notice in chapter 10 of Romans here. In Romans 10 and in verse number 10, It says, for with the heart, not head, but with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. On March 5th, 1981, I received the righteousness of Christ placed on my record when I called upon the Lord in simple faith and repentance and asked Him to save me. Paul the Apostle said it this way in Philippians 3 and verse 8 that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is of God, by faith. Plain and simple. Nobody can really appreciate what God has done for them unless they realize the mess that they're in. Unless you've been shipwrecked at sea, you're not going to appreciate what it's like to be rescued. It could be a burning building. It could be cancer. It could be anything. But unless you've experienced it, you're not going to appreciate what God has done for you. But if Christ is truly your Savior, you realize what you've been saved from. Way, way, way up north, there's what is the earth's most northern grave. Way up there near the the Arctic Circle by Cape Beachy. The Nair's expedition was very successful many years ago. This expedition that came over from England to, to find the North Pole. But they did lose one person there. I don't know what his name is, but they buried him up there on the North Pole. He was a born-again Christian man. And as he was dying, he asked that something be laid as a marker on his grave there, the most northern grave on the earth. And he asked for this Bible verse, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And it's fitting in a place where there's snow year-round that that placard would be there. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Have you received the righteousness of Christ put on your record? Flip back a page to Romans 6, and let me show you a verse here that talks about it. In Romans 6 and in verse number 17, Paul says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which was delivered unto you. I'm preaching about it today. Notice this. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of what? Righteousness righteousness we sing this song on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand there's a verse in it that says dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne on March 5th 1981 I came to Christ and brought my rags and he gave to me a robe of righteousness when he imputed unto my record his perfect record and took my sins and paid for them Have you had such a time in your life when you realize you couldn't work your way to heaven? It's not by works of righteousness that we can do, but according to His mercy that He saved us. And you're willing to turn from sin, it's called repentance in the Bible, and willing to put all your faith and all your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And you called upon Him in repentance and faith and were born again the Bible way. And you changed. Have you had that time in your life? Our wretchedness, our wretchedness has only one remedy. It's His mercy
1: righteousness. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.